constant uncertainty seems to be the state of being these days. On February 12, 2006, Dave Chappelle appeared on James Lipton's Inside the Actor's Studio for a raw and incendiary conversation. So remember, this was in the middle of that season three ruckus where Dave abruptly left Chappelle's show and departed, as it later turned out, for Africa. It's now all become part of the legend. The media was irresponsibly speculating it was crack, while fans were sharing all kinds of ungrounded theories about an individual they'd never met, even questioning Chappelle's mental health. A powerful moment during his Inside the Actor Studio appearance, Dave Chappelle said the following, The worst thing to call someone is crazy. It's dismissive. I don't understand this person, so they're crazy. That's bullshit, he says. These people are not crazy. They're strong people. Maybe the environment is a little sick. Yes. Yo, welcome my summer lair. I am your host, Sammy Yunan from Planet Earth, and I'm opening with Dave Chappelle because he is A, right? The worst thing to call someone is crazy. It's dismissive. And two... And two, because my guest is Sarah Scholes, whose book is They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. Indeed, a non-fiction scientific book on UFO culture. Yo man, I dig books and documentaries like this. Curious, questioning, and searching for truths. Truths plural. There's no value in being right. And certainty can often be foolishness. On page 8 of her book, she writes, Nestled among the unhinged conspiracy theorists and those who believe every UFO report like it's biblical, resided people I could identify with. Logical, dedicated, skeptical. She goes on to add, Many of them don't necessarily believe in UFOs at all. And most don't take the extraterrestrial connotation for granted. Nevertheless, in their spare time, between litigating court cases or teaching middle schoolers or running planetariums, they scoured declassified government documents, wayback machine to old web pages, interviewed witnesses, and wrote up self-aware analysis of their findings. Finally, she adds, I undertook this project because I want to understand why these people spend so much time on a phenomenon that they weren't even sure was a phenomenon, at least not one beyond the human brain. Absolutely fascinating. Shall we proceed with this episode of My Summer Layer and my conversation with Sarah Scholes? Let's start off with a story I'm going to tell about President Bill Clinton. Are you ready to roll? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Before we get into your book, which is called They Are Already Here, I got to tell you a quick little uh, story, a little tangent, if if I can have a moment. Absolutely. Uh, A friend of mine, he does uh, security work for celebrities and stuff. He usually gets rented out for um, like uh, Toronto. They shoot a lot of movies in Toronto. 
and uh so he will get either security for like a big shoot or uh, a certain actor will hire him uh to kind of guard his body like kind of like the kevin costner movie a few years back he got hired to be part of bill clinton's local uh security bill clinton was coming to town to speak to uh world aids day i think it was december 1st and bill clinton of course still has uh secret service with him but i think he kind of gets a couple of local people and like he was asking my friend about uh places to eat in toronto and like what's a u- unusual food or different food and i guess it's kind of left over from that campaign trail you know when you kind of go on the road and you got to eat all the corn dogs and all the the different food sure, sure. and so he was asking him i think that's partly why bill clinton kind of just gets a couple of local guys uh just uh like fill out the secret service and so when my friend told me that he got hired this was the first time he ever had a politician or like any sort of like president or anything like this. Like I said, he's usually just as actors. I said to him, oh, you got to ask Bill Clinton about aliens and UFOs. And he started laughing. He's like, I'm not asking, like, I'm not talking to the to Bill Clinton about aliens. I'm like, just if it comes up, it's like, it's not going to come up. I'm like, if it comes up, just ask. So I think it was, yeah, there was this brief moment where um, the Secret Service, I guess, were outside and my friend and Bill were just kind of in the room and I guess everyone kind of rushed out or whatever, preparing for the last little bit of uh, thing before he goes on. And uh, like I said, Bill was asking about different restaurants and different things to eat in Toronto and my friend gave him some some suggestions. And then uh, Bill was kind of like in a good mood. He was obviously going to deliver a speech and stuff. And so he smiled and he said, is there anything you want to ask me about being president or what it's like to be president? My friend's like, oh, man, I should ask him about Air Force One or something stupid. But his my voice was in his head, and he's like, I'm going to ask. I feel stupid asking this. But my friend Sammy, he made sure to throw me under the bus uh, with, the, <laughs> with the Secret Service outside. He's like, my friend Sammy wants to know, if, like, you know, when you're president, do you get anything, like, about aliens or, like, in the, in the intelligence briefings? Did you see anything about aliens? And Bill Clinton laughed, and he said, you'd be surprised how often I get that question. And he kept laughing, and he said... Uh, and you'd also be surprised at what I see in the in the briefings. And, and then the lady came and she's like, Mr. Clinton is, or President Clinton is like five minutes and so you have to go do the thing. But uh, the way he laughed and stuff, like, and the way my friend was telling it, it's like, you can read it one of two ways. Either like, you know, he's just kind of dismissing it and just having fun with it and he knows it's kind of a goofy topic or whatever. Or he actually read something or saw something or like, you know, people told him from the Air Force or something. And he's kind of like downplaying it in a way. You know what I mean? Kind of having fun with it. So that's my uh, brief Bill Clinton UFO story. <laughs> that's uh, that's funny. And I mean, I think there have been a number of U.S. presidents and high up U.S. politicians who are, who, you know, when they get the office, do want to know about, <laughs> about the alien things and what's out there. And the hard part for the rest of us, like your friend, is that we can kind of never know what they find out um, and whether whether it is uh, something or whether it is nothing or somewhere in the middle. And um, I'm, sure, I'm sure we all wish we could be president for a day just to know that and then you know, <laughs> yeah. turn the responsibilities back over to the politicians. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you'd get the, intel- the intelligence briefing and you like, skip over the Pakistan stuff and whatever else going on and you're like, yo, get to the good stuff. Like, don't bury it in the lead. You know what I mean? Like, show me where the, like, put that stuff up front. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe someday, maybe in 50 years, everything will be declassified and we'll find out whether there's any there there or not, um, or not. I don't know. Yeah, there we, we go. a time machine. We could find out. Oh, <laughs> I guess that's your next book then, Time Machines? We're going to go... I guess f- so, yeah. I think it has to be, yeah. yeah. All right, I'm in. <laughs> but before we get to your next book about Time Machines, we got to talk about your current book, which is called They Are Already Here. And it's about UFO culture and why we see uh, saucers. 
you have an interesting moment towards the end of the book. You had a conversation with your grandfather. And you said that uh, you were about eight years old. And at that point, to quote you, you loved aliens. So how did little uh, Sarah Scholes come to love aliens? <laughs> you know, I don't remember the first moment where I loved aliens, but I, uh, I grew up really close to Kennedy Space Center in Florida. So I was always, you know, watching shuttle and rocket launches from my backyard. And so I think space and the idea that there was stuff out there was always part of my life, even from when I was a really little kid. And then, uh, I mean, probably... Probably it was movies, you know, things like E.T. were big when I was little. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I think I just was always conscious that there was space out there and space was big and maybe there was somebody else in it. I, uh, I know around the time that I was talking to my grandfather, I also made up for my parents a fake solar system with a bunch of different <laughs> planets where I imagined all the different aliens that might be suited to living on all those different planets. So I guess I, guess I was just always... Interested in that idea and the idea of whether or not we're alone. Yeah, so reading your book, this sounds like a dumb question, so I apologize, but like, is this an important distinction? Like, are UFOs and aliens the same thing? Are you talking about the same type of experiences or like they two different things? Yeah, it is an important distinction, I think, and one that usually gets lost when we talk about UFOs in general. I mean, including me, we, you and I just did it. But technically, I mean, a, a UFO is just an unidentified flying object, and it means that something is unidentified to the person who is looking at it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's unidentified to somebody else who knows more than that person. Um, it's just anything in the sky that you can't identify so that, um, you know, it could be an alien spaceship. It could be a military project. It could be something really conventional, just like an atmospheric phenomenon or something like that. So, um, you know, some some subset of what people see as UFOs might maybe slim chance be alien spaceships, but they're not they're not uh, the same thing. But I think that distinction gets lost a lot because of how UFOs are in movies and books and other forms of popular culture, where they're kind of just conflated into the same thing. You're, what you're basically saying is like sometimes you, when you just see a quote-unquote UFO, an unidentified flying object, it's just it could be something like a, some sort of stealth project or something that the government is working on. But other times it could actually be an alien from one of your made-up planets is what you're saying, right? Like it doesn't always yes, have to be the I, same. I mean, I think, yeah, because they came from anywhere. They would definitely come from my made-up planet. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, since the, since they're unidentified, and usually, you know, I mean, sometimes there are sightings where a bunch of people see the same thing. But a lot of times it's just one person seeing one thing, and there's no way to, like, really recreate those circumstances and find out what it really was. So it remains unidentified forever, um, which is a bummer. That is a bummer. So... We already touched on a couple of weird things in this topic and uh, this conversation that we were having so far. Uh, so can you describe your book? They are already here. Uh, UFO culture and why we see saucers. Sure. So I got interested in writing this book. Just I was doing some reporting for Wired magazine about the U.S. Defense Department's UFO research program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And while I was doing that research, I just I met a lot of interesting people who had been doing research either on UFOs or on the statistics of UFO sightings or the history of how people think about them. And all of these people were just very obsessed with this topic that I myself hadn't really given that much thought to. And they were not 
crazy conspiracy theorists. They were not, um, you know, they didn't just believe everything that came to them. They were very, like, sober, rational researchers. And I just got super interested in what made them interested in UFOs as opposed to, I don't know, anything else. And so the book is kind of an attempt to figure out the ways that the, the things that bring people to UFOs, what makes them interested in the different ways that we have thought about them throughout the past, you know, 70 or so years. So there's some chapters looking at the politics of them, some chapters looking at things like books and movies, others looking at the classic conspiracies like Roswell or Area 51, and just kind of trying to get a handle on the, the, way, that, um, the way that we think about UFOs in the modern world. Reading your book, I was thinking about murder mysteries. Like when you read Agatha Christie or like Sherlock Holmes, there's like a mystery that occupies the reader. But you get to the end of the novel and then usually it turns out the butler did it, right? <laughs> like right. the mystery. Always. Yeah, always, right? The mystery is neatly tied up and there's no loose ends. It's all resolved. But the experiences in your book or even like the New York Times article, which you kind of reference a little bit, like from 2017, it just leads to more mysteries. There doesn't seem to be like a definitive resolution or a clean conclusion. Is that part of the appeal of what you're talking about? Like people that are very scientific and really curious, are they attracted to the appeal of this UFO culture? Because it's just it's just clues that lead to more clues that add up to nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think that's a part of it. I think that people who really like investigating and problem solving, um, including traditional scientists outside of even UFO stuff, really like a very hard problem that they that might be at the edge of their abilities or beyond their abilities to solve because you can kind of just keep researching it. Um, like you said, just leads to more and more wormholes and no definitive answer. And I think, like I said, you actually see this in regular science where like if you talk to physicists about the fundamental theories of the universe, they are thrilled when they find out they're wrong about something because it means they can keep investigating and find something new. And I think that especially for people who aren't part of the mainstream scientific establishment, um, don't work at a university or things like that, UFOs are something that you can do that with. Um, you can just keep going and going and going and finding little clues and um, never exactly finding the answers. I thought maybe writing the book I would find all the answers, but it turns out I did not. Yeah, I was disappointed. I got to the end and it turns out the butler didn't do it. Like there was no resolution <laughs> of any kind. And I'm like, well, now what happens? Like, yeah. It, it's your turn. You have to solve it now. Yeah. See, it's like you pass it to me. And I'm like, you know, and the other thing, too, is it kind of mirrored the um, the X-Files show. You know how the conspiracy just kind of keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And like they even brought back the show now and stuff like that, like um, mm -hmm. with Mulder and Scully. And it's still like, I'm just tired now of the show, right? Because it's just like, it's too much. You almost want that kind of resolution. But I can see in real life, like you said, how that's attractive because it's like, there is so much that we don't know about the universe. That seems like a lot of real estate up there with all the different planets and things that are happening and comments. Uh, like, there's got to be something. There's got to be some sort of life or something going on up there that we're not fully aware of. Yeah, I mean, there's tons that we don't know about the universe, even beyond whether there's aliens and whether they make spaceships or not, like, and probably lots of the theories that we do have about even basic stuff, like how supernovas work or what black holes are like, like those are, lots of those are probably wrong and we'll find out later. And I think it's always good, whether you're investigating traditional scientific topics or things like UFOs to rem remember how much 
we don't know and have we we could all probably use a little humility in the face of that. Yeah, so as a science writer then, how did you separate the weird from the weirdos? You know what I mean? Like cuz this culture obviously has some fringe elements of it and you 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 carefully said earlier that you want to kind of explore the more scientific aspects of it. So it wasn't just like the weirder stuff. So how did you separate the weird from the weirdo? Yeah, I mean, part of my motivation for separating the weird from the weirdos was that I don't actually want to make fun of any weirdos or just, you know, cast them in a bad light because, you know, everybody's just a person and we all have our own motivations for whatever it is we're doing, whether that's just UFOs or something else. And so I wanted to only write about people who I could write about respectfully. And so that that was also part of leaning toward the science side of things. And so I think um, how I found them was, People, there's a, kind of a, a subset of people who have blogs or websites where they kind of take apart different UFO sightings or different legitimate UFO documents or kind of critique the UFO community. And I think of them a little bit like meta-ufologists kind of studying the study of UFOs. And so those were kind of a lot of the people who I ended up talking to who are insiders but who have a little bit of an outside perspective and and um those those i think were the, the main people who ended up in my book it sounds like you're approaching this like an archaeologist rather than a scientist if that makes sense like you're digging up these people if that like you know what i mean because these are not mainstream <laughs> a lot of these i know the blink 182 guy tom delong is mainstream but for the most part like the general public doesn't have a really a large clue of who some of these people are that you like some of the people you talk to in the book no, yeah, archaeology is a, is a good word for it, although they, they probably wouldn't like the idea of them digging up their bones. But, oh, yeah, um, <laughs> that's they, valid, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I think, I mean, anytime I try to kind of investigate, uh, like, a subculture that I am not really a part of, a thing that I actually do a lot is listen to a lot of the what seem to be insider podcasts where um, – you know, the people who are really into UFOs, what do they listen to? And then you kind of find out who the big figures are to them, even if they're not famous people to the rest of the world. And that's kind of my life hack for figuring out the structure of some subculture. So out of these people that you met, uh, is there anybody who stands out? Like who are some of the more interesting individuals that you would consider uh, that you met over the writing the course of this book? Um, yeah, one of the most interesting people is a guy named John Greenwald, who runs a website called The Black Vault, where he has spent pretty much all of his adult life filing Freedom of Information Act requests to the U.S. government, asking for all their secret files on UFOs or paranormal experiments or drug experiments or just covert programs. And he's just submitted thousands of these requests and gotten millions of pages of documents declassified. So he's interesting to me because he's going after these very official sources. And, you know, he has his own beliefs and ideas about what UFOs are or are not. But his take on things is kind of, um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter what I think. Uh, it doesn't matter what the U.S. government says, because here are the documents and the documents don't lie about what the documents say. So um, I think that's an interesting approach. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy named uh, Jack Brewer. He runs a website called The UFO Trail, where he is one of those very meta ufologists I was talking about, where he kind of takes an, an anthropology approach to, like, how are my peers in ufology thinking about what belief is and what evidence is and 
where they may be, you know, mistreating people or he's kind of like a, a watchdog of the UFO community. And so those are two of my favorite people. One of the issues kind of related to what you just were saying now, and one of the issues related to UFO culture is trust, right? So somebody has an experience and they see something, a, a literal UFO, an unidentified flying objects, and it's a lot of the stuff comes as a first-person experience. Uh, it's kind of like uh, when somebody has a celebrity encounter, right? If they don't really have any photos to back it up, you kind of just have to go on that word, <laughs> what they tell you, and like, you know, they'll ask you questions, is that person nice and things like that. But then at the same time, too, there's a weird kind of thing with trust, not just in the UFO experiences, but like you just mentioned the one guy who's kind of getting all the Freedom of Information Act and trying to get all this data, where a lot of people don't necessarily trust the American government, especially. So how yeah. did you kind of navigate those two types of trust, right? Knowing that somebody might have seen something, but eyewitness accounts are not always reliable and the, the American government is not always reliable either. Yeah, those are both really hard things, and they're probably, I mean, those are probably the two central issues in, in studying UFOs. And I think the first one, the idea that eyewitness accounts are unreliable, even if a person is being truthful, like they can truly believe that what they're describing to you is what they saw, but, you know, our senses are pretty fallible, our memories are pretty bad, um, and, you know, we are not, we are not great sensors um, in terms of being like a, like a data sensor. And so I think that's what, what has made mainstream science stay away from this a lot is because we don't have hard data. It is first person accounts a lot of the times. And that's part of the reason that in my, in my book, I don't actually have that many descriptions of sightings or people who are interested in UFOs because they have sightings. Um, in fact, a lot of the people I talk to, even though they're super interested in UFOs, have never seen anything at all. Um, and it's because at the end of the day, uh, a, uh, a story a person has is just an anecdote, no matter how meaningful it is. And as scientists are fond of saying, the, the plural of anecdote is not data. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, in terms of, in terms of the, the U.S. government, I mean, I think history shows that people are right not to trust it entirely. And even in, even in the latest uh, revelations about what is going on. You know, I'm not sure how much background your listeners may or may not have, but there was a program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. At first, the U.S. government said it didn't investigate UFOs, then it said it didn't, and that's just a small example. There have been other examples of them lying in the past about, you know, what Roswell's what a big one. Roswell, yeah. the, everyone knows yeah, Roswell. Roswell's a hot do. mess. <laughs> First they said it was a flying saucer, then they said it was a weather balloon, and then that was a lie, and it was an atomic test device, and uh, test detection device, and then nobody trusts any of the story. And so they have a pretty bad track record here. And so kind of all you can do there, I think, is track the track record and kind of hold them accountable for what they have not have not said and just... Um, I mean, the, hall, the halls of the government are opaque, but... Um, that's uh, I haven't I haven't cracked it. <laughs> that's you're gonna need the time machine for that one for sure. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I'm working on it, and I don't have a basement. But if I did, I would be working on it there. <laughs> so with what we're saying too about like the American government and uh, like Roswell, obviously being the obvious example, is UFO culture American culture, or is this something that's kind of universal? Yeah, I wish I knew more about that question. I um in in my own research I focused on the American side of things cuz 
that's where I am and that's the, the stuff I have the most access to. But I mean, people across the world do see UFOs. I mean, Canada um, has actually much better record keeping about UFO sightings and much more public record keeping than the U.S. does. Um, there's a guy up there, uh, Chris Rutkowski, who... University of Manitoba, right? Publishes it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He publishes statistics, keeps the records. Um, I believe your government is much more transparent with him than ours is with us. Which is which is what I mean by an American culture, though, right? Like that seems yeah. like that seems like the way Canada would do things, <laughs> not just UFOs, but in general. And while that's what yeah. that seems what the American culture would do, or the American government would do. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think the conspiratorial element of the UFO thing and the idea that the government is hiding stuff from us is very American. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Keeping with that theme, then, like you said, like this was not your culture. You kind of came into this culture with questions, and you were obviously researching and connecting to it. So you have this insider outsider perspective now. You've obviously kind of participated in some of the conferences and some of the talks and things like that. Um, so I don't know if this is an unfair question or not, but like, so do you view yourself as more Mulder or do you view yourself now as Scully from X-Files? Like after some of the things you've seen, (laughs) after some of the people you've talked to, like, are you kind of Mulder? Are you kind of Scully or like, cause that was the tension of the show, right? Where like Mulder was like fully in and Scully was like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to believe. So I don't know if that's an unfair question or not. (laughs) Um, I would put myself more on the side of Scully, although in the show, you know, Scully is resistant to some of the actual evidence that she is seeing with her own eyes, whereas I don't have that experience. But I think I I would be more like her in that I, you know, b- believing in things without fully knowing them is hard for me as a human being. But I would say that I am like Mulder in that I think it's kind of fun to think of a, a wild out there theory and then go investigate it and so I guess I guess maybe my take is if people in the UFO community were looking at me they would absolutely call me a scully Um, (laughs) and if people in the science journalism community were looking at me they would probably think of me more like a molder so maybe I'm somewhere in the middle all right you you did good yeah I know that was an unfair question but (laughs) sticking with scully for a moment she was a person or character at least of faith and you you grew up in the Mormon church Mm-hmm. In terms of faith, like obviously, a lot of a lot of people go to church. Doesn't matter what church, the Catholic church or Protestant church or whatever. A lot of people go to church, and you can understand certain things. You can understand obviously love, and you can understand God, and you can pray and do these kind of things, and you have faith. But there's also this hierarchy where there is a priest or a pastor or, or a leader of some kind who obviously has studied, who has uh, biblical knowledge. Um, they're in a sense more smarter, more. I guess, developed in terms of their um, their position, right? So it's like they can understand things on a deeper level, right? They kind of, de- they're dedicated to that. And is it the same mm-hmm. thing with um, UFO encounters? Is it just a matter of faith? So you're just like the lay person and, and you see something and you're converted? Or do we, does the UFO culture also have that hierarchy where there are more specialized people who are then able to then suss out like, no, that's not a U- that's not an alien or that's not a whatever. Like they're, they have the knowledge then to kind of break it down. That's a good question. I mean, there's no hope of ufology in that there's no like central figure who who very clearly has has the answers and is there to help people interpret. But I would say that there are different. I guess if we're using religious terminology, sects, um, S-E-C-T-S, 
um, of ufology where there's there's different people who are kind of authorities. Um, for a lot of people these days, that um, those are the people associated with, you mentioned Tom DeLonge, the Blink-182 star earlier, mm-hmm. um, his organization called To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. You know, they have people from the intelligence community and the science world and the Department of Defense. And I think a lot of people look to them as authorities here. He won Researcher of the Year, UFO Researcher of the Year. So, yeah, that's got to be something to put on the mantle there. I don't know if you get a trophy or what, but, um, yeah. And then, I mean, there's there's, um, individual people who kind of have their own little followings. Um, I mean, I think people like John Greenwald, who have this real historical grounding in how the documents look, people look to him to help interpret things. On the kind of skeptical side, there are also authorities, like uh, uh, there's a guy named Nick West, who's uh, popular on, uh, on for his debunking work that he does. He looks at um, common or popular UFO sightings or videos and helps explain what they are if they're something conventional. And so I think you can probably find a, an authority figure for any uh, perspective you're coming from, which I guess is also like religion. That's why we have different divisions. Your book then, and this whole UFO culture, I guess both of these things, are they about faith or doubt? Because those are the two sides of the coin, right? It's, I know because we're continuing the religious analogy, but like assuming that it's not a weather balloon or some sort of government stealth device or something or I don't know like a drone that somebody had assuming that it's something else out there and it's an actual UFO is this about faith and doubt is that the tension between the culture uh yeah I guess if if we're taking UFOs that way I would say that it is either you have faith that this is the something that you're talking about or you have doubt about it and there I, I do think there are people in the middle who try to remain agnostic about it and kind of say, well, I I don't need faith. I'll wait for the more evidence to come in or I don't need doubt necessarily. I will also wait for the evidence to come in. And I think those are the most interesting Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you had this great um, example of um, Air Force pilots and reporting UFOs and things they see. And the the two spectrums seem to be, um, according to one of the people that you talked to, was they would either file it as it's dumb, they saw something that's dumb, or they saw something that's <laughs> aliens. And then, like you said, it doesn't seem to be like there's a lot of middle ground. Like, is that really what all there is? Like, you just look up one night and you see something. There's either something there, or there's nothing there. Is that seems to be the spectrum. There's nothing in the middle. Um, I mean, I do think the the middle is smaller than the other two ends, but I do think that it exists. And I, I mean, I guess I would characterize the middle as I, I wonder, um, you know, you look up, you see something you don't understand. You don't think you know what it is. You don't doubt that you saw it or that it was something interesting. You just realize you don't have an answer and you say, I wonder what that was. And I think that's where, that's where I am on all of this. And so do you feel then that like, cause we kind of touched upon this already, that there are those natural elements of this fringe culture where kind of people, especially online, uh, on social media, uh, we're very dismissive, right? Like we'll call people crazy, we ignore them, uh, we look down on them. And that's a general impression of UFO culture. Are you hoping then your book then kind of either reframes some of that, that aspect or that debate or kind of like restores a little bit of empathy towards that people and to the honest work, the honest and scientific work that people are doing? 
Yeah, I hope that, I mean, I feel like the way that people think about ufology, whether they're within it or outside of it, kind of mirrors the way we all think about each other when we think different things. Like, I, I think, um, you know, it can be hard to some to understand someone on the opposite side of a political spectrum or someone who has a different religious belief than you or a different social issues belief than you. And just this was really an, kind of an exercise for me in trying to under, truly understand where somebody who was very different than me was coming from and to also respect that position. And I think... I think it's important to do for UFOs because I'm not, I'm not sure about Canada's statistics, but it's a large fraction of people in the U.S. who do believe that UFOs are alien spaceships, whether they do anything about that belief or not. And so it's not like a small part of the population, and it's been something that's been part of our culture since the 1940s. And, you know, for that reason, I think it's it's important for people to at least try to understand each other and try to understand where we're coming from and um, not attack each other, at least maybe hear each other out a little bit more. Are you hopeful then that like aliens and or UFOs or clear UFO evidence, let's put it that way, like a significant uh, UFO evidence could like heal some of our rifts and like dissolve some of our polarizations? Could that be the one thing that brings us together? <laughs> um, that's, that's a hard question. I... I wouldn't say that I am hopeful, but that would certainly be an interesting resolution to things. Um, you know, people people who do research on finding aliens, whether that's here on Earth or, you know, a signal from a galaxy far, far away, kind of go back and forth or have different ideas about how that kind of a discovery would affect life on Earth. And some people do think, you know, it would bring us all together as Earthlings because we're so much more alike to each other than we are to anything else that's out there. And um, other people think that it would throw us into total chaos. And other people think that nothing would happen at all. And I actually kind of fall in that camp because there have been so many times in the past 70 or so years when the news has said, like, we found a saucer or we found aliens. And um, it hasn't, you know, really been true so far. But it's not like life fell apart or we all started to get along. Everybody just kind of went on with their lives. And so I think that is my leading theory for what would happen. Well, we're also kind of in a new phase now. We're like at the end of 2019, uh, President Trump founded the the Space Force, but he lumped it under as a, a branch of the U.S. Armed Forces. So this has military applications. And that's a lot different than, say, like a SETI project, which is trying to just find life out there. And I think that's going to set the tone as well, like depending on how how aggressive we are in terms of what we're looking, because that's the other debate too, right? Putting UFOs aside for a second is like, is aliens like, are they coming to be friendly? <laughs> like, like you mentioned ET and things like that, Mac and me and those cute ones we grew up with, or are they like <laughs> it, Independence Day? You know what I mean? They're gonna like kick us in the nuts, uh, which is not a very pleasant experience. So it's like, yeah, it'll be interesting to see then like what happens now with Trump's space force. Were the were the UFO community and the UFO culture were they at all inspired or discouraged by Trump's space force? Hmm. You know, to be honest, I haven't seen the UFO types talk that much about the space force. But what I do think is interesting is that you know the the reason that um, Donald Trump says that that the space force is being formed is because you know space is not a safe place anymore. It's not a sanctuary. It's a they call it congested and contested 
space, which means that, um, you know, it's they're seeing it as kind of a new battlefield instead of this peaceful place for space exploration, which it never really has been, but that's, that's a different point. But I think you kind of see that talk mirrored in the way people are talking about UFOs now. If you look at a lot of the people, like from Tom, Tom DeLonge's outfit, they talk about UAP, as they call them, unidentified aerial phenomena, as a threat and something we need to be worried about. And that kind of mirrors the same talk that we're having about what's going on in in space. And so I think we are seeing a turn towards seeing UFOs as having military implications, which which has been true from the beginning also. Like the reason the first investigation programs, at least in the U.S., were formed in the late 1940s was to figure out if what people were seeing was a threat. And so I guess we're always just we're always worried about ourselves and who's out to get us. Yeah, well, not only that, but I, I find that a number of times one of the reasons or one of the ways that UFOs get dismissed is because the, a government or some government, not necessarily American government, but a government of some kind, is working on some sort of technology or a stealth device or something that flies fast or takes off vertically or whatever it may be. And so not everybody knows what everyone's working on. <laughs> and so that's where some of the confusion comes from. And so there is like, there's always been a military aspect uh, to UFO culture, uh, just because that's where all the cool people are doing all this cool stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's true, and I think the the military, at least here in the U.S., has used that to their advantage before. You know, they have let people think when they saw a U-2 spy plane or the nuclear test detector at Roswell that that they were seeing UFOs so that they could keep their projects secret. So they've always been intertwined to some degree. You're right. As we wrap up now, having written this book and done all these interviews and talked to these people. Are you, do you find yourself now kind of looking up at the sky more often and trying to see if there's anything out there? Like, have you, is that become a habit now for you? Uh, <laughs> hoping that you catch something or like, is that a shooting star? Maybe that was something? Yeah, absolutely. I do pay more attention. And I also pay more attention to if I just see something that looks weird. I think my tendency a lot of times before I started working on the book would have just been to be like, huh, that's weird and then move on with my life rather than assuming it was something truly strange. And I think now that I stop and think like, actually, do I know what that was? I see a lot more things that, I, you know, I don't know what they were. And, you know, none of them is particularly remarkable. Like a couple of weeks ago, I saw kind of a very horizontal thing that looked like a shooting star but was red and kind of looked like it was skipping across the sky and you know, that was, probably was a shooting star but I don't know that um and I think you know a couple of years ago I probably would have just been like what a weird shooting star and um it's um it's kind of a fun game to just notice everything you can notice yeah and that's what I I found kind of I guess maybe sad about your book is that like, I don't know we have enough of a culture that looks up at the stars as we used to. Like you talked about being a kid and the space program and recently Netflix put on um, a docuseries on the Challenger explosion in 86. Mm -hmm. There was a period of time and certainly Kennedy had that speech where we're like, we're going to the moon no matter what. Cause it's like, it's the hard thing to do and we're going to pull it off. And they eventually got there to the moon, like into the sixties into the eighties. It really did seem like, there was a lot of um, desire for space and this was going to be a new frontier for us. And it was really exciting and really dramatic. And now everyone's kind of like um, kind of absorbed in their phones or looking down 
or like we don't kind of uh, look to the heavens anymore i guess is the best way to put it like as a culture which is kind of sad in a way yeah but maybe i mean maybe that is changing maybe as things like space wars happen and you know we're talking about going to the moon nasa's talking about going to the moon and not very long um we have things like SpaceX um, flying humans, maybe we're about to see a resurgence of interest, especially among younger people about what's going on in space. On the other hand, you know, we have a lot to think about on Earth right now, and I don't necessarily blame anyone Mm -hmm. for focusing on that. Yeah, so how do you define your book? Is it hopeful? Is it um, skeptical? Like, what what would be some of the words that you would use to kind of describe your book, knowing that it kind of deals with this weird and wonderful UFO culture? I would think, I think skeptical is accurate because uh, I think my skepticism comes from a good place in that this is obviously a topic I'm interested in, but I'm only interested in the really, really good stuff, not the stuff that can be debunked. And um, But I think it is hopeful in that, I mean, kind of the conclusion of the book is that, not to spoil it, but... There's so much that we don't know about the universe and we can't actually rule very much out because there's so much left to discover. And so we should all be open, whether we're talking about UFOs or something else, to new ideas and new evidence that come along um, rather than shutting them out because they don't match what we're expecting. Yeah, and that's what I found that to be the most interesting aspect of your book, which is the idea, like, you, you mentioned it before, too, where people, like, will be doing science or astronomy, and then they'll discover they're wrong about some aspect of the universe, and they got to start all over again. But they're they're not discouraged, they're excited, right? Because then they know that, in a weird way, they're making progress. And, yeah, yeah and, it, and I know in some, in some ways, that when we go through life, you have a little bit more um, assurances of how things work and like you kind of understand gravity, right? So you don't jump off tall buildings. Right? You know how things work a little bit, right? Yeah. When you're like five years old, you're just jumping off everything, the couch, the chair, the whatever, right? And then as you get older, like, oh, oh, you break your arm if you jump off that tree. So that you kind of know and you kind of get settled into this kind of like, I think I know these things. But as you said, when we look up and you see like a red thing and it's like skipping across the sky, I'm like, I don't know what that was, but that was cool. We forget to allow the universe to show us stuff that is cool and like surprises and show us wonder. Yeah, I think I think we should all be more open to that and more noticing of that. And um, yeah, fingers fingers crossed that's what happens. So where can people find you online to see uh, or hear more about some UFO culture as you kind of get into the science of all this? Yeah, um, I am on Twitter at Sarah S C O L E S. Sarah. Um, and then I put up links to articles that I write on my website, which is just sarahschools.com. And you can find more information about the book there too. Is your curiosity making you stick with uh, UFO culture or are you going to put it aside and kind of tackle some other science-y kind of stuff? Um, I have mostly put it aside since the book came out. I keep up with uh, what other people are doing, but I haven't, I haven't written very much about it. I actually usually write about... Um, uh astronomy or the space industry or physics so earth earthly pursuits but but dealing with those big ideas from the physical sciences so that's that's what i'm dealing in mostly these days with the occasional coronavirus story (laughs) yeah i know you can't escape it (laughs) yeah are you excited by this whole mission to mars you mentioned spacex like do you think this is a good thing or like this has obviously nothing to do with your book but i'm just curious because i think it's fascinating to see if we can pull this off yeah, I um, 
I am interested in it. I am not confident that we will do it in any kind of timely way. I think it's a really hard problem to make it so that humans can live and want to live on a planet that we did not evolve to live on. And I'm not sure how much public support there is for it, but I will definitely be watching with interest. And if anybody asked me to go on a mission, I would probably say yes, but nobody's asking me. Oh, that's sad. Okay, well, hopefully <laughs> hopefully, when we get this out, then uh, somebody will listen and like, you know, she should go to Mars. We'll put her on a spaceship yeah. and send her to Mars. <laughs> I'll wait for their call. There you go. So we covered quite a bit. Uh, we covered that you created your own uh, solar system. We covered uh, you're interested in time travel. Uh, we covered X-Files. And uh, we talked about, in general, about the UFO culture, including uh, Tom DeLonge from Blink-182. Uh, so we covered quite a bit. Yeah, all the important stuff. That's it, right? So thank yeah. you so much, Sarah, for like taking the time. And I appreciate the book because, like you said, and as we kind of covered in the conversation, sometimes you just want to like get into these, um, like you're curious about these things. Because UFO culture is a huge, it's like a rabbit hole, right? It's one of those things where like if you watch a couple of YouTube videos, you'll like lose a couple of hours easily. Um, and then you get all, you don't, it's hard to know what's good and what's bad out there. And you don't want to go down this like uh, conspiracy theory um, because there is actual science and things that are happening out there. And so I, I found that your book was really cool for that just because it was able to like come at it from a scientific and rational perspective. And at the same time, uh, as I said, like not look down or be condescending to some of the people that are participating in this culture. So thank you. Thank you. That's uh, that's what I was going for. So I'm glad that's how it came across. All right, uh, we're done. I took up a little bit more time, more of your time. I apologize, but that I was like, that was super cool. There was a lot of cool stuff that you're telling me, so I appreciate that. Oh, sure, no problem. Um, I, you had good questions, so I was happy to. I also wasn't looking at the clock, so I have no idea what time it even is. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Would you ever um, follow up uh, if you continued in the scientific vein and like explore time travel or like time machines and stuff and some of that culture as well? It's not as flushed out as. UFO uh, culture, but it still exists? That's a good question. Um, I hadn't thought about it in a serious way, but I mean, there, there are interesting things like, I think every year there's a conference where just one guy goes and waits around to see if any time travelers show up at his conference because it's a <laughs> conference for time travel. So, I mean, there's interesting stuff like that. I could go down that rabbit hole. I'll think about it. Yeah, it would be neat. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you so much for the book, too. I really did appreciate it. And, like, uh, yeah, it was cool. You did. If we could high-five, I would high-five you. But I guess we can't because of virus and distance. So. <laughs> we can elbow bump from across the continent. How about that? There you go. Done. Yo, that was Sarah Scholes. Her book is They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. And I am Sammy Yunan. If you want to look me up, I'm not among the heavens, but I am on social media. Twitter, Facebook, and the gram are all my pal Sammy. That's right. My pal Sammy for all three. If you've seen something unidentified in the night sky, please reach out. I want to hear your story. I want to hear this moment, this experience. This is a safe, though sarcastic space. And... Before I go, come on, man. Are you impressed? I made it through a whole UFO episode. And I didn't make a pro pun or joke at all. You got to be impressed with that. Celebrate your accomplishments. Because this life is fleeting.
thank you for listening to me in the Netflix world. UFOs, yo!